Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Thank you so much for joining me today. In celebration of International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day on May 15th, we're very grateful to have Nuru sponsoring today's episode. Decades of research have proven that skin-to-skin contact conveys remarkable benefits for moms and babies, and Nuru's products are designed to make skin care easy. Their best-known product is the Nuru Pocket, a baby-wearing shirt that offers full coverage and mobility for mothers practicing skin-to-skin care with their newborns. All of the closeness of a wrap and none of the hassle makes this an essential new baby item. Learn why a 60-minute dose of skin-to-skin care makes a happier, healthier baby at NuruBaby.com. That's N-U-R-O-O-B-A-B-Y dot com. As a special offer for today's listeners, enter Born to be Breastfed at NuruBaby.com to receive 20% off your entire order of Nuru products, including the pocket shirt, scarf, nursing scarf, and swaddler. That's NuruBaby.com, N-U-R-O-O-B-A-B-Y dot com. And so then, I would very much like to welcome a person who is unquestionably one of the world's finest experts on kangaroo care and skin-to-skin contact. Here today with us from South Africa is none other than Dr. Niels Bergman. Dr. Bergman, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for your kind words. Well, Uh, I I will just tell the audience that if you have not had the great pleasure of following the work that Dr. Bergman has done over really the last couple of decades, uh, this is a man who has done a lot of important work, writes well, writes often, and I will not go so far as to say I've read everything that Dr. Bergman has ever written, but I certainly have read a lot of it. I've uh, seen his DVD so many times that I, sometimes I can hear the next words that are coming because it's such a really, really excellent DVD. And so, Dr. Bergman, I know that certainly many of us who have been following you know that a big piece for you is that whole kangaroo mother care, but it also seems that more recently you've done some things that certainly are related to, but not exactly the same as the skin-to-skin contact kangaroo mother care. I'd like to talk a little bit about your recent article on stomach volume. And there, uh, you describe six primary research articles, really, that suggest how the newborn's stomach capacity is about 20 milliliters when the baby is born. Now, for our U.S. listeners, that's about two-thirds of an ounce. 
Dr. Bergman, how does this information guide the parent or the professional in understanding feeding intervals, gastric emptying time, normal uh, sleep cycles for babies? How, how? What do we need to understand from that really, really fine piece of writing? Well, thank you. Uh, I think in a broad sense, for the last 10 years, I've been working full-time really on uh, providing an evidence base for what happens at birth. And I started with, uh, as you said, uh, kangaroo mother care is the world health definition. But really, it's about skin-to-skin contact. And when we started it, it was really just like a kind of alternative medicine thing, something nice and fuzzy. And it didn't have a science. Sure. Arising out of the science, uh, the key thing is that it's our autonomic nervous systems uh, which regulate our health. Uh, it regulates our brains, our well-being in a wake sense, uh, and our sleeping. Uh, and thirdly, our eating. It's the same autonomic nervous system. So... What I found when I came to look for real evidence is that there's evidence on surprisingly little. And when it came to evidence on how often babies should feed, there wasn't even a pretense that there was any kind of evidence. I, I think it's quite astonishing that the most standard thing we do, there is no randomized control trials to show how babies should be fed. Every decade or so, fashion changes and feeding <laughs> protocols and NICUs change. Yes. <laughs> but mostly according to what nurses want or mothers want. And nobody asked how the baby wants it. That's very true. So that was a kind of starting point that I kind of looked at this. What um, would the baby want? That's the kind of question we ask in all sorts of respects. Uh, These articles that you then have uh, referred to, actually, that's the total sum of articles that I have been able to find. And since I've uh, published that paper, I haven't found any more. And a few are ultrasounds before the baby's born. And then the stomach size is 10 milliliters. And then there are some after babies have been born, but sadly died. And there you can stretch the stomach to 20. And then there is uh, one, what we would call perhaps dynamic study, uh, where they've stretched the stomach with a balloon. And that's it. But um, the logic of saying, why the stomach? If I have a very big stomach, then I can put a lot of food in that and I don't have to feed so often. Sure. The size of my stomach, I would think logically, should determine how often I should feed. And uh, this logic then, 20 milliliters, means that the baby should feed every hour. Oh, my. Once an hour, maybe every 90 minutes. Because the same autonomic nervous system that makes the stomach work also makes the brain work. And the brain of a newborn baby and an infant, that's up to a year, needs one hour sleep cycles. And so actually the same autonomic nervous system, and this is the science that I'm kind of lifting out, is connected to sleep cycling for an hour and then eating. If that eat takes half an hour or five minutes, then the next sleep cycle 
determines when the next feed is. Dr. Bergman, would you say that that is for both uh, term babies and preterm babies, or would you make a distinction? Uh, In the first instance, this is about term babies. Okay. Uh, And uh, in the first instance, it's about babies in the first month of life. Uh, Now, when we come to say, what does this mean for preterm infants? Preterm infants also have one-hour sleep cycles. And they have stomachs that grow proportionately to their body size and their daily requirements. So the one-hourly – now, babies don't have clocks. We have clocks. Babies don't. (laughs) Yes. Babies have brains that sleep. And and so this one hour is not your or my one hour. It's the baby's one hour judged by the baby's sleep cycle. I remember being a young nurse caring for very preterm babies. And this is by now more than 30 years ago. And at the time, everybody thought that I was radical crazy, that I wanted to uh, uh, let a baby eat every two hours because uh, that was just, well, that was just way too frequently. And so I have to chuckle a little bit that actually it sounds like uh, I was way too conservative there, but boy, was I thought of as being a a, a radical. Well, speaking of radicals, uh, I'm also very intrigued by your recent article about supine sleep. That is, here in the U.S., we always talk about the back to sleep campaign, putting the baby on his back. And from that article, I could tell that you readily agree that research supports the fact that babies who sleep on their backs are at lower risk for sudden infant death syndrome, or what we call SIDS. But you also, in that article, argue that the prone position, that is, the baby sleeping on his belly, is actually the biological norm. Now, that might seem like a bit of a paradox to our listeners. Uh, You talk, for example, about the triple risk model, the critical development, vulnerable infant, and the outside stressors. Can you briefly describe that? So the triple risk model was first described by Filiano and uh, Kinney. And Kinney in uh, Boston still does this work. And uh, in fact, uh, they're not saying very much because they're doing a study which we hope will give a final answer to a lot of questions. Uh, But the triple risk model is exactly as you say, that there is some kind of susceptibility. And then uh, there is a period of time, somewhere between the first, second, third months, when this window makes it increasingly vulnerable. And then there are risk factors, and some of these are external risk factors, uh, and some are internal. Uh, And uh, because you can't do anything about the vulnerability or even detect it, and because everybody has to go through the vulnerable period, the focus has been on these risk factors. Okay. So left out two of these uh, risk factors, which I think models, risk models, which is a, a problem. We should be addressing those. And, and so actually what I have uh, provided, I think, is an, a, a, a hypothesis, is a theory uh, for uh, explanation as to what not only the mechanism for SIDS, but why supine sleep protects you from it. 
And I, I've done so from uh, work that I did 30 years ago uh, on the autonomic nervous system in a completely different context, which is another story altogether. A and the story is not about uh, that. It's more about sleep. Uh, I mentioned earlier with my stomach story that it's connected to the sleep story. Absolutely. And so understanding the close relationship between sleeping and feeding, uh, yes. So now what happens when you sleep? Um, before I leave the triple risks, the second risk, one of the key issues uh, with addressing the paradox question that, that you mentioned, how common is this defect? Uh, I believe it might be only in two or three or perhaps four of a thousand babies. It's actually a very rare defect. But uh, I think it has a high mortality risk. It's what we call lethality. Uh, the chances of dying from this are, are defect are, are high. But the chances of having it are extremely low, like two or three Per thousand. And so there's the crunch. We need to put a thousand babies sleeping on their backs so that we might save one baby or two from SIDS. So it sounds as though we have made the back to sleep campaign to uh, address a small number of babies, although certainly the consequences are, are very intense. And uh, so, therefore, we've got some rethinking to do. Uh, on the other side of the break, I'm going to be asking Dr. Bergman about why health authorities have encouraged the Back to Sleep campaign, and we will talk much more about this. This is a very hot potato. Do not go far. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with Dr. Niels Bergman. We'll be right back after this short break. to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. 
Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Niels Bergman. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about the triple risk model, the back to sleep campaign, and the fact that Dr. Bergman sees that there's probably a very, very small number of babies who actually have these risk factors. And then we have built this whole back to sleep campaign, probably around a very few number of babies. So Dr. Bergman Here in the United States, many breastfeeding mothers are told not to fall asleep with babies at their breast, which, of course, absolutely impacts the whole idea of skin-to-skin care. So I'd like to start a little bit with, we know that you are based in Cape Town, South Africa. What do you tell mothers in your part of the world about falling asleep with their babies? Um, Yeah, well... uh Some of what mothers are told comes from the broader global village messages about uh, what your AAP is influential in uh, advising uh, mothers within our Western culture. Yes. Uh, I think, however, there's a nice uh, blog I read about, or it's actually an article that says, uh, should the AAP sleep alone? Yes. AAP fairly singular in this very, very radical stance uh, and um, blanket refusal to to take the issue a little bit more in a nuanced way. Certainly in Europe, there's a far more nuanced approach uh, about co-sleeping, about making choices, letting parents make informed consents. So um, certainly... uh, in our culture locally in Cape Town, 
uh, mothers that are told that they aren't allowed to sleep with their babies look at you and say, well, what do they know about life? What do they know about our culture? <laughs> Very uh, interesting. It's to totally strange. Uh, uh, so, so uh, yeah, we have different cultures. And uh, there are cultures that co-sleep, co-bed, uh, and have very much lower rates of yes. sudden infant death syndrome uh, than Western cultures do. So, yeah, I, I, I just need to tell a small anecdote here. Uh, in 1940, when my mother was having her baby, she tried to put the baby under the covers with her in the bed, and the nurse lambasted her. She just thought that was just the worst thing in the world. And certainly my mother, who grew up in Italy, thought that women just took babies to bed with them. That's just what she thought they did. And I think that it's very interesting that you're saying that here in the U.S. we are very influenced by what the AAP says, but that is not by any means uh, what the rest of the world thinks. Uh, Dr. Bergman, another question along those lines is, I can't count how many parents have told me, well, yeah, we, we know about the back to sleep campaign. And yes, the doctor told us to put him on his back and we put him on his back. But, you know, we've noticed he sleeps much better on his stomach. So I think that parents really know that babies do apparently sleep better on their bellies. But I usually back off. I don't say anything because I don't know of any research to support the safety of sleeping on their bellies. Are you aware of any such research? Indeed, I am. And in the um, November issue of Pediatric Research, I've published a review of such. Um, what one sees in such papers is a more dramatic difference uh, of breathing, heart rates, sleeping cycles, uh, and motor development that is enhanced, if you like, or uh, decreased, enhanced by prone sleep or decreased by supine sleep. In preterm infants, it's very, very clear. It becomes less clear uh, in bigger infants. Uh, so, but there is a factor that uh, profoundly uh, in the preterm infants that are more sensitive and haven't got resilient, they respond uh, and they are very much more stable and grow better sleeping on their stomachs. There's no question of that. That is amazing because I also believe that no matter what I say, when parents go home, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. But uh, I would certainly encourage people to take a look at that article that you're describing. I assume it's the one that is Proposal for Mechanisms of Protection of Supine Sleep Against Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Indeed it is. Yes, pediatric so let, research. So now let me put it here and say that uh, I'm actually providing – a reason uh, to this AAP uh, statement that uh, explains why they are right in saying that supine sleep does decrease the risk of SIDS. Uh, you, you mentioned the paradox, so let me yes. state it quite clearly. Uh, I am arguing uh, for the correctness of the position 
that it decreases since. Uh, and I'm providing a, a hypothesis uh, for that. Well, what is the hypothesis? It is that supine sleep is a stressor. Supine wow. sleep puts babies into a state of increased state organization. State organization refers to how well I sleep or awake and my level of arousal. And so supine sleep pushes babies into a higher state where they don't sleep as well. But that is the very thing which is protecting the susceptible infants from SIDS. Dr. Bergman, would it be fair to say then that we have gotten this back to sleep campaign that is aimed towards the babies who are susceptible, the babies who are vulnerable, but it is not necessarily the best thing for all babies. And then my question to that would be, does it make a difference whether they're breast or bottle fed? Because certainly the rate at which they digest the formula and so forth, we we know that that's different. But uh, can you comment on that? So those are two very separate issues indeed. (laughs) Um, So not necessarily the best for all. Correct. So so, um, the the, the kind of broader issue we refer to in in, in public health epidemiology, which is the science of public health population illness, is what's called the rare disease epidemiology. So if you have a rare disease and you are able to make that even more rare by treating the whole population. It might be that you're saving one in a thousand. But supposing your treatment uh, has a side effect that is a negative effect that influences one in a hundred or even more, it means that you're paying a significant price for the benefit of those few lives that you saved. And I'm not diminishing or decreasing the benefit of saving those lives. We should be doing so. But uh, what is the kind of possible side effects that bad sleeping can be causing to the rest of the population? One of the things we know is that it delays motor development. Development, yes, absolutely. And motor development is a very significant developmental feature of that period of time. And it's measurable uh, 15 months of age of babies that were sleeping pronal supine uh, at the age of two and three months. So that, I think, makes supine sleep a significant stressor. Dr. Bergman, do you think it would be fair to say that most of the medical community agrees with what you just said about the sensory development? I spoke motor development. Uh, Excuse me, yes, motor development. Yes, that's what I meant, yes. Uh, That's well published and not disputed. Uh, What the AA says is that it doesn't matter because at the age of two you can't tell the difference. Hmm. I don't know that they're right in saying it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what else uh, might also be coming with that. Yes. Here's another one for you. Uh, in 2011, you, Morgan, and Horn raised a question about whether babies should sleep alone. Uh, I'd like to ask 
if there were no lawyers, no lawsuits, no hospital rules, do you think that mothers want to sleep with their babies? Uh, I would believe that there is a kind of highly conserved neuroendocrine behavior, hardwired DNA, brain creation, if you like, that makes mothers desperately want to sleep with their babies. Yeah. Their babies, yeah. twice as desperately, want to sleep with want their mothers. Want to sleep with them. <laughs> yes. And, and what I'm showing in our research here is that the baby that's not sleeping on mother, but is sleeping three feet from mother, is in a heightened state of arousal, anxious arousal, and there is, and this is not published in the paper, but we hope to get to publish that data soon, there is no sleep cycling. And it's the sleep cycling which is critical for formation of good brain circuits. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I had certainly not been aware of that, and I'm actually sitting here just trying to process that in my own brain as we're talking. I know that our parents and our professionals who might be listening will want to come back on the other side of the break. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those terms that we've been talking about, kangaroo mother care, kangaroo care, skin-to-skin care, and so forth. So don't go away. Uh, I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with international expert, author, and researcher Dr. Niels Bergman. We will be right back after this short break. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. The New Pocket is a newborn carrier specifically designed for skin-to-skin contact, affording mom full coverage, and hands-free mobility, while giving and receiving all the physiological benefits of kangaroo care. Our unique fabric is super soft, breathable, moisture-wicking, and it offers just the right amount of compression fit to ensure proper position and continued support. Hospitals and NICUs are implementing the new Pocket for inpatient use to increase time spent skin-to-skin, as well as help improve breastfeeding scores and infant safety. Learn more at NewRooBaby.com. That's N-U-R-O-O-Baby.com. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. Buy N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? 
Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Niels Bergman from... uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Dr. Bergman is unquestionably uh, the world's expert on kangaroo mother care. But I would just like to point out that many of us, including me, use those terms rather casually. Sometimes I say kangaroo care. Sometimes I say kangaroo mother care. uh, Sometimes I say skin-to-skin contact. And I think it's especially important that this week in celebration of International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day, I'd like to have Dr. Bergman get us a little bit clearer on what those terms exactly mean. Now, Dr. Bergman, you seem to frequently refer to kangaroo mother care, and your website says kangaroo mother care, but interestingly, on that same website, you have several photos of fathers who are skin-to-skin with your babies. And I noticed, too, that on the DVD... You talk about how the mother's lactating breasts are warm and can warm the baby to the right temperature. And in the DVD, you specifically say, fathers can't do that. So I'm curious, is it is it better for the mother to provide kangaroo care or doesn't it matter? Can, can you comment on this? So let me answer all of that backwards. <laughs> that, that was a lot of questions. <laughs> If fathers can't do this as well as mothers, I think is my proper statement. Okay. If fathers can keep their babies very, very nicely warm, even maybe too nicely warm, uh, okay. because the fathers tend to overheat their babies. But actually, who knows what the real temperature the baby wants to be at is? We assume it to be something, but we've only measured that in babies that we put in incubators without realizing that maybe the incubator is causing a brain response in the baby that's lowering the temperature. That's actually what we think from kangaroo mother care. Skin-to-skin contact uh, with the mother uh, makes a baby's temperature half a degree higher than a well-regulated normal baby in an incubator. So, yes, indeed, skin-to-skin contact is the proper term. And I want to kind of present that as a scientist point of view. When I talk to the public, uh, that's a long term and, and, and uh, complicated and not doesn't have a nice sound to it, perhaps. <laughs> right. <laughs> is what you use. Um, 
kangaroo care doesn't have a scientific definition. Actually, kangaroo mother care does. That is a strategy defined by the World Health Organization. And it includes kangaroo mother, kangaroo position, which is the skin-to-skin -skin contact. And then it includes kangaroo nutrition, which is breastfeeding. And it includes kangaroo discharge, which is sending babies home early. This is a model that comes from Bogota, Colombia, and has yes. been disseminated worldwide. I'm not totally happy about all aspects of the strategy. My focus has been on what would be called kangaroo position. And people use the word kangaroo mother care when actually they mean kangaroo position. Or they use kangaroo care when they think they mean, I don't know what they think they mean really, because when you talk to kangaroo care, some people think it's just holding the baby with its clothes on next to your your, your chest. Uh, that's not good enough. That's yeah. It must be skin-to-skin -skin contact. Mother must be no bra. She doesn't have to be naked or exposed in any way. The baby is inside her shirt or her garment, whatever it may be. There are lots of different dedicated garments. Uh, as you, But there must be no bra. There must be nothing but skin-to-skin -skin contact. That is a critical piece. It's not enough with a bit of cheek here or there while you're breastfeeding. It's about being in direct skin-to-skin -skin contact. So kangaroo care is used rather loosely and sloppily. The thing about skin-to-skin -skin contact is that I can now be very specific to say it starts at a certain age. My preference is naught minutes. It can be continued for a certain time. You can give a dose per day, and you can give a duration over time. As that time extends, you can decrease the degree of contact because the baby is now bigger. This certainly goes with what you have had as your mantra lately with zero separation. Thank you. As I read that term, and of course, I believe that I believe that term is uh, actually used in the title of one of your articles. Oh, yes, it is the one that is on the neuroscience of birth. Uh, it, it occurred to me that I have seen here in the U.S., and I'm talking recently now, I'm talking babies who are housed literally on a different floor than the mothers, meaning there are babies who are going up and down elevators to get to their mothers. Now, obviously, the staff is bringing them, and that's a far cry from rooming in. But you're saying it's not just being in the same room. It is not just being on the same, uh, on, on the mother's body somewhere. It is being in the kangaroo position, skin to skin. And honestly, I feel a little silly, but I've gotten so now I tell mothers skin to skin does not mean skin to bra. I don't know how to make that clearer, but it is not skin to bra. You know? So this zero separation thing, uh, Tell us a little more. The extreme case scenario, there's a place in California that shall remain nameless where the babies are shipped to the next county. Oh, jeez. There you go. Oh, so, my. Skin-to-skin -skin contact is not a kind of care. Uh, kangaroo care means kind of like I do something as an intervention. When I look at my signs, skin-to-skin -skin contact 
is a place for care. Mm, the habitat. A, indeed. The environment yes. is the modern word that's used. And so it's the environment that tells the epigenes what they should do. It's the environment that tells the neurons how they should fire. It's this environment is mother. And so separation is the opposite of skin-to-skin -skin contact to the baby's brain and to the baby's DNA, epigenes, and the baby's neurons and brain. So skin-to-skin -skin contact and separation are opposites. I'd just like to mention that the first time that I saw your DVD where I saw a baby who was in an incubator and he was quite preterm, I would imagine probably in, uh, I don't know, 30, 30 weeks neighborhood, I, I can't remember now, but the baby has got his arms and legs doing all of this motor movement and he looks very stressed. And I usually tell new nurses... When I was a nurse, I actually thought that that was just what preterm babies did because I saw it so frequently that I presumed that since I saw it all the time, it was normal. But as you began to do your work and as I began to read your uh, your research and see that, that DVD, although I think it might have been a video at first, and, and I looked at that and I thought, no, that is what they do, but that doesn't make it normal, that if these babies were not stressed, they would not be doing this. It's, it's as, that's that really that fight-flight reaction. Am I right? Yes, correctly so. Yes. Uh, fight or flight, perhaps not quite. Uh, it's a stress reaction, uh, and uh, some of it we would identify as a moro reflex. A moro is a startle oh, reflex. Yes. Because the noise is unexpected and it requires you know, and uh, some some of it is a baby that is in, in freeze and, and, and then it's holding itself absolutely still and then all of a sudden it can't because it gets stiff and then it jerks and has a yes. full body movement. And so yes. these are freeze dissociation uh, behaviors that one might be seeing. But there's also a distress crying behavior of, of mm -hmm. trying to attract mother's attention. My noise and my will make mother hear me. My flailing will make mother see me. And my mother will pick me up because I know she's wired to do that. When she doesn't, eventually I must realize that it's dangerous for me to attract attention because a predator or something nasty might find me. So then I go into what I call freeze and dissociation. But yes, these random movements uh, are signs of stress. Oh, it's just, it is so amazing how when we recognize that, it really changes, as you say, the paradigm. It changes the paradigm. Um, I, I, I'd like to ask, too, I hear this quite often because I teach in multiple uh, places in the United States, and I frequently will hear that the mother is not allowed any more than once a day with her baby skin to skin. And I always come back and say, why does your hospital only allow the baby to be out skin to skin once a day with his mother? Can you think of any indicators or any rationale for limiting? I, I mean, it, it does occur to me that there might be a reason, but what might it be? I do not believe that there is any reason whatever. Wow. Wow. 
In fact, the separation is the cause for the distress and the bad physiological shape this infant is in. And so separation produces high levels of cortisol, and that changes the epigene settings that makes yes. such damage permanent across the lifespan. So this new neuroscience, I think, is also well described in Jack Shonkoff's term we call toxic stress. Oh, uh -huh. And toxic stress is the absence of the buffering protection of adult support. That's the definition of toxic stress. And so here we have institutions that have institutionalized toxic stress as a requirement for care. That's oh. absurd. Yes, one of the things that I frequently mention is if you've had a bad day, what do you want to do? You want to go home to a safe place and maybe you want a hug. And as adults, for heaven's sakes, we seek that kind of safety and that kind of warmth and familiarity. And uh, it's uh, really kind of mind-boggling to me that we put our, our youngest uh, our youngest citizens through that. Uh, everyone, I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Niels Bergman. When we come back, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to ask Dr. Bergman about how he got interested in this in the first place and just get a little insight into Dr. Bergman, the man. Uh, we'll be right back right after this break. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. The NeuroPocket is a newborn carrier specifically designed for skin-to-skin -skin contact, affording mom full coverage and hands-free mobility while giving and receiving all the physiological benefits of kangaroo care. Our unique fabric is super soft, breathable, moisture-wicking, and it offers just the right amount of compression fit to ensure proper position and continued support. Hospitals and NICUs are implementing the new Roo Pocket for inpatient use to increase time spent skin-to-skin, -skin, as well as help improve breastfeeding scores and infant safety. Learn more at NewRooBaby.com. That's N-U-R-O-O-Baby.com. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. I'm your host today. And with me, I have my very special guest, Dr. Niels Bergman. Uh, Dr. Bergman, I just, I've been curious, I guess, about how you got into kangaroo mother care. I know that it certainly originated in Bogota, but as far as I knew, you hadn't actually been there. It seemed to me that uh, there must have been something that got you interested in this. I know that you had a very early article. I'm thinking it was around 1994 or so. Uh, Tell me, how did you get interested in the whole concept of kangaroo mother care? Indeed. Um, I trained, uh, I qualified as a physician in 1980. And then in 1988, uh, I followed my father's footsteps and worked uh, as a mission doctor Ah. in Zimbabwe. Oh, I see. I was a generalist clinician. Uh, I could do simple surgery and uh, primary level, most kinds of care. And so I was had a colleague, and we had a hundred beds and half a million people. Those hundred beds did not include any incubators. But the year before, uh, midwife resource had been uh, at a diploma course, and she had read about this thing in Bogota, Colombia. So uh, we thought, no, well, we'll do this skin-to-skin thing that we've read about. Um, because we didn't have the incubators to make the baby stable. And this was the key. The baby had to tolerate skin-to-skin contact was the belief, and still mm. the belief in many places. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. We didn't have the incubator. We skipped that part, and we started the skin-to-skin contact on birth from the moment these babies were born. And we saw something that wasn't in our textbooks. These babies opened their eyes. These babies suckled on the breasts. These babies grew and they survived. So the 1994 paper published in a rather obscure journal, this is the only one that I read because people sent it to me for free as a, a charity, <laughs> it's one called Tropical Doctor. Yes. Uh-huh. So it's published there. Uh, and it was just a practical experience of, of, of how to save these babies purely with the skin-to-skin contact. Wow. Well, as my father always reminded me, uh, need is the mother of invention. And it sounds like uh, the invention here was actually not an invention so much as it was. You didn't have any incubators, so you needed to use what you had, which was the mother herself. Yes? And and, and so the zero separation that we referred to earlier it wasn't really an invention. It was just a rediscovering <laughs> yes. of the original paradigm, what Mother Nature always did. And, and so that is indeed what primates do. And in a life sciences theory concepts, we are primates and we should behave accordingly. Yes, sometimes we really need to look at what other animals other mammals, other primates do, and then ask ourselves, how are we different? 
And the answer is we're actually often more similar than different, and maybe we should take on some of those feeding behaviors or protective behaviors or, as you say, creating that habitat, that uh, that place, that niche, the, all of those kinds of things. Uh, Dr. Bergman, you've given us so much information uh, today. Uh, I'm wondering if you could just help us to pull together, really, for those people who might not have joined us in the first segment might just be joining us just this moment. What are the three things that you would hope that people would take away from everything that you've talked about today? So uh, as we have Kangaroo Care Awareness Day, Kangaroo Mother Care, it's really skin-to-skin contact. And it needs to be direct skin-to-skin contact, the whole naked skin of the baby on the mother's chest. And It should start at birth, and this applies to all babies. doesn't matter how old they are. It actually applies only more the smaller one is, except that the smaller one is normally the more separation follows. Yeah, very frequently, yes. That would be the first thing, that uh, kangaroo care is about skin-to-skin contact from birth. And then the skin-to-skin contact is not a kind of care. The care doesn't change for preterm babies when they're in skin-to-skin contact. It's just the place that I give care to. Such babies may well be ventilated. What we see, they need less. Such babies may well need total parenteral nutrition because they're 22 weeks. Then they must have that. Care doesn't change. It's skin-to-skin contact, which is the place for such care. But now, because it's the expected right place, the baby's physiology is swimming downstream together with us so that we're heading in the same direction. It's much easier to provide the care. And then perhaps thirdly, this place it produces physical healthiness, but it also fires and wires in the baby's brain an approach mindset. And the first thing that it approaches, it wants to see mother's face and mother's breast. And then when it is suckling on the breast, it can see mother's face at the same time. This is all about oxytocin. Skin-to-skin contact is what makes breastfeeding. Babies breastfeed. With due respect to the title of your talk, Marie, babies are born to breastfeed. To be breastfed. (laughs) Yes. Born to breastfeed. It's the baby that's doing the feeding. And so in the process of feeding, the baby's wiring its emotional safe place to its sociality. Emotional and social intelligence comes from this early skin-to-skin contact that makes breastfeeding. I am so impressed with everything. I'm not only impressed, I am inspired. And I thought I knew this material before I talked with you, but I know it's so much better now. And I feel so much more inspired to go out there and to really be an advocate for these babies. I would like to encourage parents who are listening to this to uh, really understand all of the good things that Dr. Bergman has told us about kangaroo mother care. I would also like to encourage you to visit his Facebook page, and that would be www.facebook.com slash ninobirth, and also his website for general information, ninobirth.org. 
the website for information on preterm and small babies is at kangaroomothercare.com. And the website for science-based answers for healthcare professionals is www.skintoskincontact.com. Of course, all of these are uh, very related But as you can tell, uh, Dr. Bergman has done a remarkable job of getting that information easily out there. You've heard me mention several times today that uh, DVD, and I will make sure that I put that on the Born, the the link for it on the Born to be Breastfed site so that you can check that out for yourself. As usual, this hour always goes much, much too fast. I would like to especially invite all of you to become aware of International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day. I would like to thank Nuru for sponsoring this show with Dr. Bergman. Please, if you get a moment, visit their website at nuroo.com. And remember, uh, they've got a little special going. If you put in borntobebreastfed.com, you can uh, have access to all of their products with a uh, 20% off discount pocket shirt, nursing scarf, swaddler, and much more. Again, I'm Marie Biancuto. Thank you so much for joining me. I've enjoyed having Dr. Niels Bergman here today, and I would invite all of you to come back on next Monday, same channel. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 